hello and good afternoon. Welcome to Two on One, a weekly uh, talk show about theology, pop culture, its intersections, and today particularly, The Good Place. We're glad you're with us. I'm the Reverend Arthur Stewart, joined with, joined by, joined with, Cloven Unto, Reverend Stephanie Kendall. Good to see you today. You as well. I am so forking excited for this. this conversation, I love the good place. I know that you do too, and um, and I know that our our guest today is just. Uh, I can't wait for you all to meet him. He's incredible, um, and yeah, I've just been looking forward to the Sunday or the Sunday this Wednesday for for so long. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that he's finally here. I'm glad you mentioned the Sunday or yeah, Sunday's yeah. period because we were talking before the show about liturgical seasons. Mm-hmm. And, oh wait, but Arthur. I, so I was looking and thinking about things. Did you know that there's a pink Sunday in Lent? We're in Advent. No, I know. The, oh, do I know that we are in Advent? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we light the pink candle this coming Sunday. Uh, but did you know that there is a pink Sunday in Lent? Yeah, it's Latare Sunday. Right. So do you have a pink stole? I do not have a pink stole. Do you have a pink stole? I don't. Well, not yet at least uh but i'm definitely open to it and if i decide to get one you do you know where i'm going to get one from uh, jeff one row designs jeff one row designs our lead sponsor jeff one row designs yes our lead sponsor for two on one jeff one row designs celebrating 15 years of making ordinary time extraordinary but does jeff one row Designs sell pink stoles um they can and they do the team at Jeff One Row Designs can customize seasonal banners, processional banners, frontals, pyramids, chocolates, coats. It, it, it is a liturgical textile. Our friends at Jeff One Row Design can make it come become reality. It is the bridge between an idea and reality. Wow. Jeff One Row Designs also has prepared a variety of liturgical textiles for all seasons and a variety of patterns and fabrics ready for a multitude of denominational and non-denominational clergy. So if you are shopping for the smallest altar accessory accessory, or reevaluating your entire collection of vestments and pyramids, Jeff One Row Designs would be honored to work with you and create something especially for you. Well, visit jeffonerow.com, J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W.com. You gave me the yips, Spiff. I'm sorry. Catalog and customization conversations. And enter the code 211, all one word, at checkout for 15% off all the stoles you buy. Friends, uh, we are so grateful for Jeff One Row Designs. And I am sorry that I always make Arthur uh, spell it out because, as you can hear me every single week, I trip up over my vowels. A E F F W U N R O W dot com. There we go. You get it. I love it. So thank you so much, Jeff, uh, and his entire team for being our lead sponsor here on Two on One. You stole, still steal the show. And speaking of shows, let's get to the good place. Uh, <laughs> joining us today is JR. Hold on. There's one more thing that we have to announce. What? What on earth would that be, Spiff? It would be that because of our amazing fans and those of you that continue to watch Two on One every week, making us the number one rated disciples uh, chat show on Wednesdays at one, uh, we have been picked up by Apple Podcasts. And so you can now both stare at our beautiful faces every week. But if you are someone that most likely prefers podcasts uh, or are a podcast listening person, or you want to do both, head on over to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We're on Spotify as well. Uh, And look up Two on One Project and 
Uh, every week, our episode will be available on the podcast uh, hosting channels of your preference. And uh, I am also working on uploading the back catalog of everything. And season two uh, will start in January and will be fully available uh, on both streaming platforms. Wow. Well, thank you for that. And uh, I look forward to subscribing to our podcast. Joining us today about The Good Place, uh, which is so exciting. And I'm just excited about this show today is J.R. Forresteros. I'm going to admit him. He's in the waiting room. In our green room? Our very it's, like a, it's like a green room, but really it's like the inside of Janet. It's just all white space. Hello. Welcome back from inside of Janet, essentially. J.R. Forresteros, we're so glad to have you with us today on Two on One. Thank you. It is very good to be here. We are so happy to have you. Uh, but first, would you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself? What are you doing out there in the world? Yeah, so I'm a pastor and author and podcaster and roller derby announcer in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I've been here for a little over six years with my wife, Amanda, who is the roller derby girl. And our church is called Catalyst. It's a great little community in a suburb of Dallas uh, where we, we say that we're church for people that don't like church. So what we, what we actually, what that actually looks like in practice is we try to, we try to make everything about Jesus's good news, really, really accessible for folks, because it's been my experience that most of the time it's the institution, not Jesus himself uh, that people don't like. And so we try to, we try to uh, not get rid of the institution because obviously we are an institution, but we, we try as much as possible to make things accessible for folks and understandable. And uh, in my spare time I, during the pandemic, I've been uh, dungeon mastering for some D&D campaigns, which has let me flex my creativity muscle. And of course, uh, watching episodes of The Good Place on repeat, because it is such a uh, beautiful, beautiful show. I don't I don't want to go off on a D&D tangent. I just want to note that when I DM, uh, I've actually broken my world because I just love <laughs> stupid loot. Like, yes. I keep giving them stupid loot. And they keep using it, which is real, like one guy has blasting gel and a bow and arrow. And it, it's my fault. It's totally my yeah. fault. But <laughs> okay, The Good Place. So for those of you unaware of The Good Place, you really should be aware of The Good Place if you're watching a theological chat show. Uh, it is a four season comedy that was on NBC that wrapped up earlier this year. Is that right? Was it this year or like 10 years ago? Uh, um <laughs> It is about, and spoilers abound, it is about four people who died and uh, went to the bad place, but were told they were in the good place in order to be tortured. And really, it's about like the resilience of the human spirit and the possibilities of grace, even in the hereafter. Um, it's a great show. Ted Danson. Um, oh, my gosh. Why is it? Kristen Bell. Uh, I can't say any more words. Spiff. It's an incredible show. Uh, obviously, uh, I, I guess we probably should have IMDb'd the actors if we really wanted to go through, but you know who they are, uh, and they are people that we love, um, and we will look them up later. But uh, I, I'm with you. My favorite part of this is it, um, the resiliency of spirit, and all of us that work in, uh, all three of us work in church, uh, and it, it offers a an eschatological, eschatological vision, say it with authority, uh, eschatological vision that is really accessible and one that really kind of breaks open, I think, traditional narratives in a way that makes uh, a vision of what is next for our people um, a little bit more uh, personal, I think. I, I, like it, it, it offers them the opportunity to say, I'm not sure what's next. What does that possibly look like and envision new spaces? I don't know. Jared, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I think, you know, when I first started watching, it was 
a network sitcom about the afterlife. So I was like, I feel like as a pastor, I sort of have to watch this. Uh, I love Kristen Bell. I love Ted Danson. I quickly came to love all of the other principal actors. And, uh, you know, it was enjoyable throughout the first season because it really asked the question, can people change? Uh, And of course it, it used the artifice of the afterlife to do that. But that is, I think that's a question as a pastor, hopefully we're always asking, right? Can our folks change? Like, do we believe that change is actually possible, that we can really be transformed from death to life, uh, from, you know, old to new? And I thought that the Good Places answers were incredibly provocative. Uh, Obviously, they came down pretty hard on the idea that people can change, while acknowledging why that change is so difficult in so many ways. Um, And I think where they, where they landed, which was something that while I don't know that they took far enough, I love to affirm is that we change when we're in relationship with other people. You know, none of us is transformed on our own. We're changed for the better when we're forced, sometimes forced, sometimes dragged kicking and screaming, right. Other times, hopefully by choice when we're in these, communities where we live with other people and have to see their humanity over and over and over. There's a real gift of like free will that I think is part of this through line that like so often, you know, there's a lot of that really kind of theology that says, you know, everything happens for a reason. God's plan is in all of this. And what I really appreciate about, about this vision of community and community building is that it holds accountable each of us and our actions um, to not just each other and us here in these forms and bodies, but in what it means to move uh, into the next space in the what's next. Um, a lot like uh, we a couple weeks ago, we did Lucifer in the same kind of vein that opens up what does it uh, look like. And so um, for me, uh, I'm, I'm appreciative of the way in which this preaches that what we do matters um, and what we do have consequences, um, both good and bad consequences, meaning like the outcome of what we do. And uh, And so I guess one of my questions is just, uh, do we as a church lean in enough into uh, into that narrative? Do we offer that space for our people to say uh, there is free will here? You know, there is there is these choices and whether or not you equate it to uh, your relationship with God is another question. But um, but how does, I guess, free will in the church work in your experience today? You know, I think one of the phrases that will make my eye twitch every time I hear it is everything happens for a reason, mm-hmm. um, which is like uh, dumb enough to technically be true. Like we live in a universe that is predicated on cause and effect. So, yes, everything does, in fact, happen because something else caused it to happen. But I think most often what people mean by saying that is it's it's uh, it's really a it's really a a a Western cultural Christian version of the uh, Muslim phrase, inshallah, if Allah wills it, you know, which is, which is a way of abdicating responsibility Mm -hmm. saying, you know, well, you know, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. And I think we do the same thing. Once something has happened, we say, well, uh, good or bad, it must have happened for a reason. And then that's meant to 
be some sort of comfort. I don't find it particularly comforting for exactly the reasons you just shared, because I think that scripture does give us accountability and responsibility. And so if I behave badly towards someone and cause them harm, uh, that did not happen because God intended that to happen for that person to, to have a very special episode of their life. Um, it happened because I chose sin and I chose harm and I chose selfishness. And so, yes, that happened for a reason, but I think too often that is maybe a contemporary version of the devil made me do it, right? It's, it's a way we try to abdicate. And so I, I think, I don't know that our churches do a good enough job of pressing back on that and insisting that the good of our neighbor is in large part left up to us. Hmm. It's, I, I completely agree with you on that. And I think part of why, and when I say the church, we're all talking from a, a, a vaguely uh, liberal-ish, mainline-ish Protestantism. Um, there's other agents in the conversation who, like, people feel like they have to whisper when they're like, I don't think scripture is inerrant. And I'm like, you can say that loudly. Like, it's, it's okay. That from the, uh, the altar, that'd be great. I'll yeah, <laughs> like, it's it's cool. Like, this is a book written by very inspired men and women. Like heavy dose of the Holy Spirit, but like the Spirit did not judo chop people and like move their hand. Um, it's and the everything happens for a reason. It's it's just like it, it's the um, it's like rejecting the footprints poem. Like it's okay, and there's there's more to the faith than the platitudes that have just been on repeat for forty years. I think I think the the the, the question I'd like a, to pivot us on, if that's okay, Spiff, and I don't want to stop you from. An answer. It's a really good question. Is is within that consequences and actions the the system of judgment that is set up, or not judgment, the points ranking? Um, it's fascinating that because it's not the Christian afterlife, it's not the Muslim afterlife, it's not any sort of sense of afterlife. It's only like thirty seven percent correct because that one guy got high. And I love that it was a truth that the demons told in the first episode. Um, but it's all based on points. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it and are still watching, even with spoilers, it turns out that no one has been able to enter the good place for hundreds of years because the world's become more complex. And therefore, everything carries a cost that is too much to be worked out with good deeds. What would happen? Well, I, 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 there's like six questions with this, and I don't want to jump far too ahead on it. Can we talk about do we as a church still view salvation as a points game? Let's start there. Like how do we how do we break the church of of the points game? How do we deal with faith and works in a way that is um I I I I know this seems odd. I think I have a point where I'm going, but I may not. I, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, I I think this I think this is so difficult because uh quid pro quo or karma is like so embedded in, it seems to be embedded in our DNA as humans, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which again goes back to cause and effect. If I do something, it must have an effect, you know, and, and grace is so radically opposed to that concept that I think it takes intentional, deep, persistent, uh, embodied discipleship to do that. Uh, I do think if the church were more serious about radical hospitality, that would be a way to undercut that. Uh, if, if we were consistently not only providing spaces for people who are not like us and don't deserve to be at our tables and things like that, but 
entering into spaces where we have to rely on the hospitality of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we would be surprised again, and it, I, this will reveal that I'm a romantic at heart. I think we would be surprised more often than we would be wounded. Um, and I think that that would create spaces for us to experience grace in an embodied way such that it would begin to undercut the, uh, the sort of like lived reality of quid pro quo or points that, that so many of us seem to carry around with us. Mm. Yeah. I think that there's, for, I, I don't know that there's points plural, but for at least in today's society and in my experience with those that really deal with the, the fear of hell and like the, the hope of heaven, whatever that looks like is it's a one point off sort of thing. It's they, they don't want the negative point that puts them to hell, but they're willing to take points away from other people uh, in order to make sure that they, like, it seems it's the, um, that uh, myth of scarcity, like that there's only so many points. And I feel uh, in some way that the church operates in that narrative of like, that there's a scarcity of points, which is, it goes, if we're just naming points as grace at this point. Right. And so, um, but that there, there is that scarcity that I have to do this, over and above my neighbor so that I go someplace and hopefully they're there too. Maybe, hopefully, I don't know. In this climate, I think that there's a lot of people that are not hoping to end up in the same place with their neighbors. And that's part of the overarching problem is not that we're all hoping to end up together. It's that we're hoping that we end up with our people. With our perfect, with our perfect suburban heaven, where only the best of the best make it in. There's lesser heavens for lesser people. Sure. Yeah. And so it's, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, I think we do operate in a point system, but it's not one of abundance. It's one of scarcity. And that becomes the, the impetus of our, uh, uh, our intentional relationship with the unknown neighbor, um, and why and how we interact there. And that it can be both really beautiful and really harmful. I think given the opportunity I'm with JR and that I think that it will do more good and that, you know, there's more connected, uh, connectedness and activity than there is, uh, then there will be wounds, but, uh, we have to get out of that mindset of, uh, I need to grasp onto what is mine, um, to figure that out. Okay. So that's, I need to grasp onto what's mine. Um, we've, we've kind of touched on individual versus community. Um, one of my favorite parts of this show is the whole idea that the community is what makes people human. Uh, yeah. With Janet and with Michael, they're not human. Um, and not a- I, I love the novelty of um, I love the novelty of what makes a human human. I think it's one of the best representations of, and I'm going to say the divine, but I think you all understand on that of just because I, I I got hung up years ago when somebody said, when God asks, "What are you doing?" or where are you to Adam and Eve? God literally does not, it has not entered God's mind that humans are going to wander away or hide or do anything else. Like it's humans are weird and we're, we're a one-off in creation. Um, I don't need to talk about this thing. Sorry. So with Michael and Janet, as they discover to be human, I feel like they can only become human in community. So how do we, how do we humanize one another in community? Like what, what are the hallmarks that we, we see in the good place? How do we cross apply that in our discipleship? Cause I'll argue it has to be corporate. We can't be a body by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to push. I don't want to 
push back, but I want to complicate this yeah. um, because oh, I think yeah. obviously what it means is more complications because I would, um, I would challenge that Michael and Janet have been in community. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, they've been in this good place working with all these people and there's arc, there's hierarchy. It's the realm of divinity for all it's worth. Um, and yet it, it's so insular and a bubble of what it means. It's, it, I think that we need to make sure that we are defining community as uh cre- I'm trying to figure out how I want to define community creation writ large uh it, you know God's full vision of creation when we're talking about it in our spaces but um that it's something more expansive than the circles that we work in that it's not just you know our church community but it's our big C church community which incorporates a a global vision uh because Michael starts to change not because of his community that he had been a part of, um, but because of this new experience and the broadening of what it means to be community. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about how all of them change is that, you know, Chi and Jason and Tahani don't really start to change until they realize they're also in the bad place. You know, um, not really. Uh, Eleanor doesn't originally ask Chidi to mentor her because she is surrounded by so many amazing, beautiful people and she's inspired to be better herself. Michael doesn't uh, initially decide to join Team Cockroach because he realizes that being a demon is the pits and wants to uh, get better, right? All of them begin their journey of change out of self-interest. Eleanor doesn't want people to find out that she doesn't belong and be sent to the bad place. Michael covers up the fact that his experiment keeps failing over and over and over to the point that he can't come clean to Sean. And so his only option is to join team cockroach, which means trying to get out of there and to become better. Um, And so there's this even Brent, like, which I think, I think season four, like introducing Brent into the equation was, was brilliant because it made it so much worse. Right. Like even Eleanor was like adorably trashy. Right. Like you were like, yeah, she's the pits, but like in a cute, like silly way, whereas Brent was literally the worst. Like he was. So a few years ago, Spiff tweeted, and it's my favorite tweet of all time. May this year be the year that I developed the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yes. And it's just, I like, that's what Brent is. Brent yep. has, yeah, nothing of value, but everything of worth. He wrote I, a book, man. <laughs> I belong. I mean, in my favorite turn of that, it's like everyone is growing and being in, in there at that one point, And he's just like, I belong in the better, in the best. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, what? But that's it, right? So go that's ahead. It, right. No, I mean, it's just, it's the crux of like, why Brent is the worst is because we all know him. Yep. And, and, it, and it sits with us because we know that part of us too. And if I you don't, don't know Brent, I have bad news for you. Yeah, well, and I don't, and like, let me be honest, I don't want to deal with Brent in my church. Oh. Uh, I would much rather Brent goes somewhere else, like play golf on Sunday mornings, Brent, but maybe that's why I have to work with Brent. And I think what's so fascinating about the good place is that if you're asking like, how do, how do, how do we create these communities? Like one, I think we have to acknowledge that, especially if people are 
bad in the terms that the show establishes. Like most of the time people don't begin to want to change unless it's out of self-interest, mm-hmm. you know? And so a lot of times people don't check out church unless, um, you know, they can't get a job and they need some financial help or their marriage is falling apart and they don't know what to do, or, you know, they have a, a substance abuse. There's some kind of selfish, self-focused reason that they're seeking out this community. Um, and I think we need to just be okay with that and understand that like, that is often the place where God meets people and invites them forward. And that like, okay. Um, the other thing though, is they try every kind of kid glovey coddling way imaginable to invite Brent to change. And it all actually mostly to your point has the opposite effect, right? Where he's like, you're telling me there's a better place. I get it. Like, yeah, everyone here is worse than, you know, and it's not until that moment that Cheedy just like rips him a new one that Brent has that like split second of spike that doesn't quite get far, you know, but it's, it's this moment of like radical honesty and truth telling. Um, and, and so I think that has to be a big part of it too. I think that our communities do need to be focused on uh, like a sort of prophetic, courageous truth telling um, that helps, that helps these folks face the truth about ourselves, you know? Well, and have we lost that as a church of being afraid of being anything remarkable? Look, I'm, I'm I'm a gay man in the church, yeah. and I have more conversations with people who uh, were assaulted for being queer uh, by church leaders, by lay leaders, by trusted people who they grew up with, or anything else. Like, I get, I get the whole judgment-free zone thing, but we have to be under judgment. We have to be cared for by one another. And I think it's trusting one another and being vulnerable with one another in order to um, bingo card time. First Corinthians very much says it. You are held accountable to and for one another. Um, and by the way, finish first Corinthians, my three commentaries this week, now on second Corinthians, uh, which is a mess. And I love it. <laughs> um, so can we talk about Brent with the spike at the end, right? Because Brent, almost becomes good based on the point system. He almost gets there and there's almost a neutral place setting. So uh, neutral place, Mindy St. Clair. One of my favorite concepts in the entirety of fiction where she's sent to the neutral place, which is still the bad place. And they just refuse to say it in the show, but it clearly is. You get your favorite beer, but it's warm. Uh, you know, you get, cannonball run too. <laughs> which she's still being tortured, and it's even worse because she's being tortured by her ambivalence. Um, and you know, it's neutrality always sides with the oppressor. Um, it's what what does it mean to? I, and within that, like, okay, so if if we're called to be prophetic with one another, if we're called to call out hurt, what does it mean to confront neutrality in our relationships as well? I think exactly what you just said. Neutrality privileges the oppressor, you know? Um, well, so in the end, Mindy is coming around, but she doesn't want to. And she's the one who I think is Mindy the hardest one to save out of all of this. Arguably Brent might be since he's still technically in the bad place by the end of the show. <laughs> but, but again, it's, it's so interesting that underneath Mindy's um, stonewalled reticence is fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure. You know, it's the, the the fear of change. And it does take people who are 
people that she trusts. You know, it's not until Tahani says, I will personally be the person in charge of this and I will be the one. She's like, okay, I'll take a risk, you know, even at, but, but it's, it's Tahani, it's Eleanor pleading with her, you know, it, it, I think it's trust. They've known, they've at this point known each other for many Jeremy's. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the actual time was. Many, many a Jeremy Bear that there, there is, you know, it's why intentional community and trust is kind of the cornerstone of what we do as faith leaders in, in changing hearts and minds and spirits into a space that, you know, is that you trust us with your soul, right? That's the gift of being faith leaders is that we are entrusted with the care of the spirits of our people, but that doesn't come or it shouldn't come. Here's a, you know, a warning to all those lay people looking for churches. It should not come without a healthy dose of, uh, of, skepticism and then built relationship um that that is the space that we need to kind of go from and that is where i think we inevitably get with mindy and say after all of this time you know because and i love how she continues to point out with um with eleanor like no you did this last time i know you know and she like finishes our sentences did you bring the cocaine no you forgot it again you know sort of a thing and it's like okay She's there's patterns and there's repetition and there's understanding. And even I think Mindy operates with a certain level of grace that um, is interesting. And it's when we get away from those binary kind of spaces, right? It's not good and bad place. There's a medium place. There's a neutral place. There is the nothingness that is built on beyond, right? That there are multiple spaces. Well, and um, there's, there's disco Janet, which yeah. is never explained. There's a bajillion Janet. Um, but but is it? Oh, keep going. No, there's only one disco. It's it's neither here nor there. I just I'm so good. Uh, um, you know, I think what's I think the thing that that occurred to me since all three of us are church leaders with all of this too is that it was not someone from the good place who descended down to Mindy St. Clair and said, "You can do this." It had to be Eleanor and Tahani and. Yeah, Chidi, because they, she saw, as you just mentioned, right? She saw them go through this. She saw them repeat the experiment over and over, and she saw them get better. And I think, you know, I, I don't know what it's like in in y'all's faith traditions, but uh, I've I've worked under two lead pastors who have told me not to have. Uh, friendships in in the congregants uh, congregations where I serve, um, the pastors are supposed to be you know up on a spiritual pedestal, and I find that undercuts my ability to disciple because then I'm not in the trenches, so to speak, right? If, if, if I cannot demonstrate my faith journey, then I cannot, uh, I cannot realistically invite most folks along with me. I'm part of the, uh, I'm part of the recovery community. And I think it's better at being church than the churches being church. Still a lot of language from the church, but actually like uses it. Um, and it's the, the whole, the whole thing is you don't give advice, you share experience. Um, and when somebody says, well, I did this and I did this and I did this and I'm a trash bag and you're able to say, I was naked on a tractor, never was actually naked on a tractor. Well, okay. Not anyways, um, without, without that, uh, it's, it's the experience of it, but that's, that's where it is the communal transformation. And you have to be able to have the space in which you're able to say, I am, here's my garbage. Because we live in a society, the West or the country or whatever, where we don't, we, we hide it all and we just kind of shove it all in. I have to be away for 60 seconds. This is unorthodox, but it's becoming regular. I'm so sorry. Allow me one second. Talk amongst yourselves to borrow from Lynn.
Uh, no, I mean, I think that for me, this entire thing, uh, it, it leads to, and I'm going to ask a, a, another question for just the two of us, um, but uh, which I think comes out of this and he'll come back and tell us. Um, also, shout out to those that are watching. There's Cassie and Bonnie and Travis. Where is our theme song? Um, and those of you watching, uh, shoot us a question. We're happy to continue this conversation from online. That's where I'm looking. But so my, I think I go back and forth. Janet is definitely my favorite character. I think Janet is probably most people's favorite character because I think there's a part of her that meets us all where we're at, um, not a girl. And so, uh, but Cheney for me does something to community um, that I think is really important. You know, we, we, we want to get all of our knowledge, all of our understanding from books and things. And yet it, he grows and learns the most. And I mean, he's clearly out of that group, the most educated, formally educated, let's say. Um, but he, it, he's, he, I think, grows the most because he engages in humanity in a more deeply intentional way. Um, and we were talking earlier before the, uh, before the show started about how there's the line when he learns about Jeremy Baramy, he learns about the, the dot and Jeremy Baramy, and he's just like, that broke me, that blew my mind. And do we, uh, do we lose our minds enough uh, in the church, in the world, in each other? Like, what keeps us from that moment of just being like, not broken, but maybe broken open um, in a space that we are so lost for what is next because we have been, we've just been given some form of information of grace of whatever of relationship that irrevocably changes, right? That's a moment in which Chidi is irrevocably broken open. Um, have we uh, lost that ability in the church or, you know, what yeah. are we doing that? Well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> You know, the other, the other one is when he sees the time knife <laughs> and I love, I love how Michael's like, yeah, yeah. The time knife we've all seen, that. <laughs> but you know, uh, my wife and I are both super into the Enneagram and uh, I'm, I'm a three, she's a nine, which are both the avoidant numbers. And she loves, she loves Chidi because he's also like so clearly a nine, right. Uh, paralyzed by any, any attempt to make any kind of decision. And I, I think that it's so interesting that his, you know, he, his, his multi-thousand page treasy on ethics that he never even finishes. Like it's all avoidant behavior. It's all this, it's all this way to like, try to try to live in his head and not have to face the reality of a world that can surprise us. And, uh, on on one hand, I think I think two things that answer your question about the church. On one hand, I think it's because you can't program experiences that break us open, right? Like like they have to just they have to just happen to us. Yeah. So so I think that's hard, right? You there's you can't put it in the liturgy and say, well, we're going to do the call you to worship to and the like right that. and the, um. So that that is a difficult part. I do think though, on the other hand, our um our our worship in the United States has, especially in, in white churches has kind of become spiritual self-help, mm -hmm. uh, where, where here is my life. Uh, what is the Jesus I can add and where do I plug it in to make this thing run more smoothly? Um, and that doesn't lend itself to being open to mystery. Uh, I, I use a preaching team at my church and one of my good friends, uh, who is a, a seminary professor preached last year about mystery 
and how it engages with loving God with all of our minds. And he made this really powerful distinction that has really stuck with me about the difference between puzzles and mysteries. He said, you know, we use the term mystery, like a mystery story or a mystery show. And when we use the term mystery, we actually mean puzzle because it's, it's that there's this picture. And if we get all the pieces in the right order, then we'll understand the picture. And he said, but that's not mystery. Mystery is this ineffable, unknowable thing um, that when we encounter it breaks us open in the way that you were talking about. And so he, he says, that's why there are these moments that moments that you talked about as being broken open. And sometimes it's the cliche, but no less true, like a beautiful sunset or a lyric in a song that hit like the mystery, like happens to us in unpredictable in unprogrammable ways. And so I think if the church wants to be serious about helping folks meet God in those spaces, I think we just need to talk about mystery more, not as a puzzle to be solved, but as a thing to encounter and just help folks like be on the lookout for them. Oh, I love that. Uh, None of that is mine. So that's that's Tim Basley. It's knowledge and it's prophecy and it's wisdom and it's all of these things that we've decided we can figure out and it's you know well this is basic instructions before leaving earth and everything has a purpose in it and there's nothing wrong at all and i'm going to tell you exactly what jesus feels about transgender people and it's like jesus jesus christ i'm sorry jesus christ would say transgender people are people and they're wonderful and you should love them jesus christ and, would be like hi i'm transgender please love me yeah well i mean can we talk about that Where'd the Y chromosome come from? Uh, anyways, <clears throat> lady um, wisdom. <laughs> I, all I'm saying is if, if Mary reproduced through parthenogenesis, which she would have to, and as we know, the Holy Spirit is a bird, not a dude. Uh, there's no contributing Y chromosome for XY. So Jesus may have identified as male. Yeah. Yeah. I love bringing that up when people say, well, what's queer theology? I'm like, let me, let me, let me kind of ruin you for a second. Let me show you the I in Jeremy Barrowman. Um, yeah. Oh, and by the way, we're super obnoxiously into the Enneagram also. Uh, oh, good. Okay. Three. I'm a seven. Yeah, I'm a three with a four wing. He's a seven. And we have this, we've created a hand gesture that is <laughs> the power triad. Mm-hmm. When it's three aggressive personalities. Yes. Uh, it's just very fun. <laughs> Um, but you know, I don't, I just, for me, especially in, there are times as in like 2020, right? Like kind of knocked us all off our tracks of whatever we thought this year was going to be. And there have been times in which the, uh, I live alone. I'm in Manhattan, you know, just kind of, uh, sitting with my cats in my house, um, and feeling so broken open, right? Like I get, like, there have been moments this year that have broken me open um to use Chidi's kind of like I, that broke me kind of language um and it has been uh in the kindness of strangers it has been in the uh spaces of of church and holy community that have come together in space that uh that haven't before um and yet we still uh clamor on about uh you know can we go back and it's like once you are that's why I like this kind of like, I like the brokenness of it. Like I'm not afraid to be broken because it, 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 it invites something new to begin. And so, um, but I'm wondering if all the spaces of the world, you know, uh, as we long to go back or cast a vision that looks similar to what the back was, uh, have we lost our ability to, 
to break open, to be those, to have those cheaty moments. It's like, I need a minute that broke me and to share them. Right. And like, cause I think what we do is we all experience them. We all, we all have them, but how often are we saying this broke me? Um, mm. And maybe it will break you too in a way that our brokenness can, can resurrect something new. Uh, well, let's remember that Chidi did not handle Jeremy Baramy well, right? <laughs> he goes and he goes and makes the chili and makes himself sick, right? Um, and, and, I, and I think, too, we see all of the characters engage in numbing behaviors to protect themselves from being broken open. Mm-hmm. You know, Tahani's constant name dropping, uh, Jason's uh, video gaming right? Chidi's uh, intellectual, like I'm going to go hide in a book and pretend I'm doing very important scholarly research. But when I'm, what I'm actually doing is hiding from having to confront reality. Um, Spoke a little too much to me as a pastor. I know, right? Um, All these and, books and not one ounce of justice. <laughs> and Eleanor's got her margaritas. You know? That's right. That's right. And her shrimp cocktail vending machine. <laughs> but I think that, but that's part of what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it broke. It, it made Chidi a better person. His knowledge of Jeremy Barry made him a better person. It broke him in a way that he did not have the tools to deal with. So he turns to community. And I think that's part of, I think maybe uh, this is what Arthur was talking about earlier in, and I don't want to speak for you, but like if your experience in the recovery community kind of speaks to that, it says, here's how, we walk in these trenches of unknown together often that we share our experiences. And that's why it feels like church to you is what I'm hearing because we don't, because in those spaces where we break open and are like cheaty and don't know what to do and aren't handling it well, society has kind of pushed us into a space that says, please keep that in your own corner. We don't necessarily want to get our hands dirty with the unknown. Well, it's, and it's experience, strength, and hope, not just experience. And um, I want to throw in hope because we're, we're coming into this and that's where this is where hope res- resides. Uh, my favorite quote is about is from Michael and I had to write it down. And I'm, I'm, uh, is matter- it keep it sleazy? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's uh, well, kind of. It's what matters isn't if people are good or bad. What matters is if they're trying to be better today than they were yesterday. You asked me where my hope come from comes from. That's my answer. Mm. It's. What happens with the constant reboots and the, uh, the, the insistence that these people are going to be tortured forever is that it's not just resilience, it's improvement. Um, and I kind of want to talk about this because evil in the good place is not creative. Evil in the good place has a steamroller for genitals and like bees. And that's butthole what they spiders. <laughs> Butthole spiders, yes. And like that's... That's what they use. And it's the same thing. And they're fine with just doing it forever. Um, and I, I guess I guess there's multifacets to this. Number one, can we talk about evil and how evil can't be confronted with evil because evil wins? Two, can we talk about what it means to be eternally tortured or eternally rewarded and how eternal life... I've always considered that a threat, personally. And, um, and three, um, how does one... How does one leave the bad place in the good place system? And how may one leave the, what is the bad place? Let's get eschatological, I guess. So we can talk about evil. We can talk about eternity. We can talk about eschatological. I have have questions that kind of point in that direction. Is that helpful? 
Yes, please. You, you don't just like me like naming things I found interesting and being like. I think likeable. that's why we're partners. You, you, I think that's why we're partners in this. You, you talk about the expansiveness, and I will say. And here's the question: uh, Is nothingness a form of liberation? Yes. Is there, is there like from life, from captive joy? Is now going going to the very end of the se- of the series? They've created a door. They they get to the good place. So they're in the good place and they wreck, you know, they run into, uh, who is it? Hippolyta? Who do they, they, uh, it, they talk to, Chidi talks to. Phoebe from Friends. Yeah. They talk <laughs> to Phoebe, um, and they realize that, uh, there is just a death happening in the good place of a death of kind of spirit of creativity of love. And it becomes a form of the bad place in the space that they say, okay, here's, here's a door to walk into nothing, you know, to just cease to exist. And that is an option for you now, which again, uh, continues to level up what it means to be in the good place, the bad place, the medium place and all of that. And so uh, one, my question to both of you is, would you walk through the gate? Um, And two, you know, I guess, is that the truest form of, of the good place is the nothing place? Okay, so I actually have massive problems with the end of the show. Okay, let's hear them. Uh, well, I just I just think it is Ill, Ill, it's illustrative of our our inability to imagine eternity. It and I think it's I think it's an illustration of a creative show's final failure of creativity. Mm. Um, if if God is eternally generative. And if part of what it means to be in eternity with God is to join in that eternally generative creating, uh, I think it is a cop-out to say, well, yeah, we're all going to get bored. And so we're basically going to settle for Buddhism, which is, which is ultimately what the show does. Um, and, and I think it's, it, they cheat because they say no one really knows what happens on the other side of the door. So all they really did was like push the afterlife one layer back further. Right. Well, and, um, and they're also not, it's not a Christian heaven. It's not, no, a no, no. it's, it's absolutely not. Uh, but, but I'd say for me, like, like, okay, I grew up not wanting to go to heaven because I thought it was clouds and harps and singing all the time. And I was like, that sounds like torture. Um, you know, I knew I didn't want to go to hell, but when like all my favorite musicians were probably there, I was like, well, Mark Twain said it best heaven for the climate, <laughs> hell for the company. Right. Uh, yeah. So like, I get it. I get, um, I, the first church where I was ever a youth pastor, they did judgment houses. Oh, and no. I joined, I came on staff, like while the thing was already in motion. So I couldn't stop. I had to, I had to like sabotage it the next year. So I had to participate in one. And of course, when you got into heaven, it was like a fog machine and people in robes and like everything was white. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> like, this is- I, was, I, was, I was at a funeral. I visited a lady at a previous church every single week. We hung out all the time. We were great friends and her kids hated me apparently because they had her funeral at like a big old, I'm not going to say the denomination, but you can guess church in Dallas. And the pastor who didn't know her knew that she loved animals. And he's like, well, she's in heaven right now. And like, that's not how that works. 
Um, and she told me that's not how that works. And she was like, and she's probably gone up to Jesus and said, excuse me, sir, where's the ASPCA? And I was like, why do they need a society for the prevention of cruelty to animals in heaven? In heaven. Yeah. Yeah. What is happening right now? I got so mad. Like, I think I, I think I secretly smoked a cigarette then. <laughs> Maybe I opened yeah, I, it. I don't remember. So, so I, I don't know. I, 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 my hope, because again, none of us knows what it what it looks like. None of us knows how it works. Not even Doug Forsyth got it all the way right. But my hope is that uh, there will be an eternal process of becoming that we all get to participate in together. And uh, and I just, I just, I don't know. I'm. Uh, I would love to hear a little more, Arthur, because I'm surprised the seven is like, yeah, nothing. I'm good. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's within the context of the good place, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, sure. Yes. And and I think it's it's ultimately the the afterlife thing. Yeah. I'm I'm not big on clouds and harps and robes. Actually, robes I like are, harp music. I just don't want to play one for eternity. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you know, g- give me some funk or baroque music. Or I, I need variety. Um, go figure. It's I I, I I like that of becoming. I like that process in there. Of there's always there's more in it. And yes, God is fullness, and we don't even understand the beginning of fullness, let alone all fullness, all fullness. I, I will also say, um, I hope it's not conscious the way we're conscious now. I don't think it is because I don't trust my monkey mind for eternity, and that's really just like. But again, becoming. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I really like what, what you have to say on that. I want to say on the other side of the bad place or the hell theology, I, I, I reject the I reject the judgment house version of, of that <laughs> because one can make the argument that the pain you experience is going to be magnified for eternity. But like, that's not how pain works. Um, and OK, I'm cognizant of the time. And Smith, I want to hear what you have to say. So I'm not going to d- dive into C.S. Lewis, but I really want to. Yeah, you have to come back. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm with you all. I, 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 I liked the idea of heaven and the people of hell um, from who I was told was going to hell. Um, <laughs> again, I did not grow up in the church. And so like I did not I don't uh, it's not in me in the same way. I think that it is in some of my colleagues and peers um, and congregation, you know, so. Um, I am uh, tender with it, uh, but it's not something that necessarily derives me. Um, I hope, I really appreciate, and in my kind of thought of this is the the, the become the continuous becoming. Um, ideally, it's led by Michelle Obama, and she just teaches us how to continuously become. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but like, I, I think that communal resurrection um, in a subconscious mind, uh, forever is cool and uh i'm here for it and i don't know i like uh, yeah I, I mean i could see in the good place why walking through that uh that door to nothingness is cool i also notice in myself that i'm like mm, i would probably pull it to honey and be like i'm gonna go lead over there <laughs> I'm going to 1,000% go help others figure out what they want so that more people have autonomy you, over the the understanding of their spirit and end life. So. Do you think Tahani might be a three? Oh, maybe. Hmm. Shocking. Yeah, you know? when, when they said Shakespeare went through the door, I was like, mm, yeah. 
that told me everything I needed to know. Because <laughs> if if the bisexual spy playwright gets bored in heaven, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm constantly over time. We do have a final question, but I have one more question that I kind of want to just like lift up because I think it's fun and cool. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, before that, who are, in your experiences, before we head to this final question, the Doug Forsets of today? Who are, who's pushing the boundaries of what we understand and helping us kind of expand our theology around, um, just expand our theology, period, question mark. Alice Walker, I mean, the entire womanist movement. I just, I'm, I'm hoping like, you know, like I, we do a lot of specific talks on this, but uh, on, you know, on uh, on a very specific point, we're like, yeah, Mike sure is really, really crushing it out there. And he is. Um, but it's, uh, so this is, I guess, I just want to offer us an opportunity to say that, you know, who's doing some really cool work is so-and-so, if you have come across them. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, I have, as if you couldn't tell from the way I've been talking all episode, uh, I've really been paying more attention to like practical, what I would call practical theologians. So I look at someone like Andre Henry, Mm -hmm. who is doing a lot of work around like activism and social change and is coming out of a deeply Christian place. Uh, to do that, uh, a guy named Dan White Hodge, who does, he has a podcast called Profane Faith, Faith on the Margins, where he's really looking at, um, he's coming out of an evangelical, black evangelical context and all of the disillusionment that's come with that over the last four years. Um, so he is constantly bringing on folks that are really pushing at the boundaries, at least boundaries for me coming from my white evangelical suburban, you know, denomination. So uh, those are, those are, those are two guys. Um, I've been reading bell hooks lately, which I know she's not like a brand new name to anyone, but wow. Um, you know, have you seen the Tumblr saved by the bell hooks? <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they superimpose uh nope but i have a new favorite doubler now <laughs> jared foresteros it is marvelous to have you here uh like thank we, you so much we need to continue this conversation because we haven't even gotten to how the greatest naming of any evil character is sean sean um <laughs> and it, it is a joy but spiff has our final question today we don't have a final question song because travis smith mckee is bound for the bad place but who is literally uh commenting on all of our stuff travis is watching with us so is our friend Quadri, uh, Kathy, Bonnie, all these people. Thank you all for watching. Um, but if you could all just seriously start pressuring Travis into a theme song. Um, anyway, uh, Jared, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it is This has been a wonderful conversation. It's been uh, my pleasure. Thank you. And so as is always, our final question is, what uh, biblical character, book, place, or theme are you most reminded of in The Good Place? And uh, you get to answer first. Can I do two? Of course. Yeah. I'll do Old Testament and New Testament. Hebrew Bible, I got to say Jonah, right? Jonah's the guy who would rather die than be in a world where the Ninevites get God's grace. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking at a person who is in the bad place but thinks he shouldn't be, um, yeah, today. Is Jonah Brent? He is. Oh, no. Yeah, like he totally is. Oh. And the book, the book ends ambiguous on Jonah's fate, just like the good place wow. ends ambiguous on Brent's fate. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and then in the new Testament, I would actually say Nicodemus, because if you read through John's gospel, you know, he comes to Jesus 
uh, antagonistic a little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit later in the book, when they're arguing about whether Jesus is really from God, he's kind of like gently pushing on the Pharisees saying like, I think there might be something here. And then by the end of the book, he shows up and is one of the ones to give Jesus a, a royal burial, indicating that he's come into the kingdom. And so I, I think you see, unlike most of the people in John's gospel who have this sort of instantaneous conversion moment with Jesus, you see this like progressive lengthy sort of movement towards Jesus that's happening in the background and kind of in the shadows. My uh, friend, Becca Crevins is a painter and she did a painting called Nick at night and it's Nicodemus (laughs) meeting Jesus. And it's like in this arch and it's, it's like that beautiful, like let's say it's nine o'clock on a summer night, like it's dark, but it's not dark. And you can see two silhouettes and one of them has a halo like, and it's, the first time I saw it, I just burst out crying because I was so moved by it. Um, and it now hangs in my bedroom. Um, but I like that about Nicodemus. It's you got to text cool. me a picture of it. I'd love to see oh, it. Oh, I, I totally will. Okay. Um, Spiff, I'm going to jump in uh, because mine's Jeremiah, um, the exilic period. Uh, know the plans I have for you, not plans uh, to prosper you and not to harm you because it's know the plans I have for y'all. Uh <laughs> And we think that it's like a very specific individualized God wants you to get that parking space. And God instead is like, you're here for a while, plant and build and have kids and grow and become, and we'll get back on it. Um, And I, I think it's, I will insist that the bad place is a state of mind, but the mind can only really be understood as part of the body and the body can't be individual. Mm. So I'm, I, I, I struggled with this one, kind of, it just did. Uh, I think I've landed, though, on Janet as the Matthew 15 Canaanite woman, that everyone continues to come to the well, and she offers a little bit of insight that helps them uh, kind of fully develop their own understanding and growth. Um, she, this is the well that she, I, we can assume that she continues to come to. Jesus is there once, but it's it's her space of operation, and so the good place in and of itself being kind of that space of the well and that Janet continuously comes and kind of gives the little, not a girl nudge and, or you need to do this nudge or things like that. that uh, I like that. And it, for me, I really, I've always really liked that story because it's a story of Jesus's growth. Um, and we tend to pull growth away from Jesus. Um, and so uh, for Michael, you know, who is, <laughs> is the both architect and then human on earth. I don't know if we want to draw that parallel, but, uh, but there's there and and Janet is there always kind of in a, in a Holy spirit moment, but really for me um, kind of sits in that, uh, that narrative writ large. So So I'm going to go with that this week. Is Jesus possibly a 10,000 foot fire squid? Maybe. Uh, Can we, can we into it? I just, I just got to bring up one thing because it's, this is ultimately a thing about redemption. Uh, Mark Driscoll is not one of my favorite pastors, and I can't make personal judgment about him because I don't know him personally. But like professionally, I wish he'd stop. He did, however, at one point say, so when we say Jesus was perfect, does that mean like he didn't need to learn how to ride a bike? Like he just picked it up and did it? And I've always thought about that uh, since I've heard it, because like Jesus had to become, because that's what being human is, and he was human. So anyhow, I'm going to pop up this graphic while we're talking. Isn't that what it is? Isn't it real? Is it, it's a real man or something like that? Like, 
I always, I really, I really appreciate the Shurverse's uh, ability to kind of uh, put a little bit of uh, nuance and creativity in just about everything. So, well, Jr., it's 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 been a true pleasure and a great gift to have you talk with us today about the good place. Uh, you have an open door invitation to come back with any conversational topic you wish. Um, I'm gonna at some point do a D and D show, but Spiff has to play D and D with us first. Okay. And part of me wants to run the game and part of me wants to play in the game. So like, I think you're like, start, start rolling a character, uh, figure this one out. It, it, that, that might be our Easter show. <laughs> Not Easter. So. Uh, but we thank you very much. J.R. Forresteros is uh, the pastor at Catalyst Church. A pastor, the pastor. I didn't even yeah. ask him. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm lead. Yeah. Okay, the lead pastor, and he's pretty fantastic. And if you're in Rowlett, Texas, uh, we urge you to check them out and the great work they are doing.